Hi, this is Vanessa Marshall. I play Harrison Dula on Star Wars Rebels, and you're listening to Star Wars Bookworms. Enjoy. Even men like Talon Card occasionally make mistakes. This is the Chimera. Launch the attack. Time to go to work. You won't let me get killed, will you? Is that what I was supposed to be doing here? I should have brought my lightsaber. Hey, did you know that your destiny can be changed by your actions, both big and small? Yes, I did know that. Yep, it's the actions we take that shape us into forces of destiny. You have to do it in like the right voice, though. I can't do a mod. Can't do the voice. Okay. I don't. And what is the whole thing? It's with the beginning. Man, I don't. You put me on the spot. I didn't memorize. I know. I don't remember the beginning. The funny thing is, is I actually have this written out somewhere. It's just not in our show notes, but I actually do have it. But I know it's it's the actions we take. The something, something we make. I don't, <laughs> I don't remember. Every breath you take, every move every you breath. make. Oh, that's not it. Okay, <laughs> I got it. I got it. But it's like you. The only voice I would have is something low. So like, the choices we make, the actions we take. See, and it doesn't even sound right because I'm not Moscanata. Moments both like big the... and small shape us into forces of destiny that's all i've got she kind of has like the old lady warble to yeah her voice I'm, i don't bit. have an okay you do it then i can't do it i was just <laughs> voice coaching you oh good good yeah i can't do it either but we're talking about forces of destiny which just came out and have you seen them all just once or have you watched them a couple times i think i've seen them i think i've seen them all i hope I've kind of just caught them whenever people post about them on social media. How do you not subscribe to the Disney YouTube channel and I do. just watch? Well, I, I subscribe to a bunch of YouTube channels, and so I, it's not like I automatically watch whatever comes up. Like sometimes I just miss it. I don't have like notifications turned on or anything. I get the little. I don't get notifications, but I get the little bubbles like in the on your phone, the app, the subscriptions. It shows like a little bubble that says there's new ones and when you click on that it has all of the channels across the top that have put new episodes and so i just scroll over until i find the disney one to see if it has a new like little bubble and if it does i click that well without getting way too much into it because we're not an animation review show like what have your what is your overall thoughts of the the little animated shorts oh my gosh they're so brilliant (laughs) like (laughs) they're so good yeah, because I actually was really concerned about them being so short and like what was it really going to give us and all this stuff. I was one of those that was excited but skeptical and they just like totally proved me wrong, you know, of like being skeptical at all because what they did, which I thought was really great, is they took some character traits and important aspects of each of our heroines and they capitalized on those to sort of showcase them and to also teach little tiny morality lessons but in a way that sort of I don't know fills in some gaps for some things that we hadn't really thought about before or whatever and so like specifically okay take Ewok escape with her getting her dress I had always kind of wondered how she got the dress so now I know because know- she helped save the Ewoks and they made her one real fast. Or, or. <laughs> or my other option 
is that the dress belonged to somebody that they had ate previously. And so they <laughs> they gave it to her as a peace offering. And Maybe. also to show their respect for her. And so then she felt, you know, like trapped and, you know, and like, oh, I need, I can't communicate with them. So the best way for me to show them that I appreciate them is for me to put on this dress. Like, it's very complex for <laughs> three minutes okay. or whatever. <laughs> I thought it was a fun little detail. I didn't think of the idea that it was from somebody they had eaten. I, That's a little <laughs> morbid, but... Um, I was kind of more thinking they just had it there. You know, maybe they had human visitors before they had collected it from like a settlement they came across. And I wasn't even thinking of the fact that they made it themselves, but maybe they made it though. You know, they could have, that would have been pretty quick turnaround time. Um, maybe they made it before just in case they had like took her measurements and everything. Yeah. You know, she'd been there once before they, they measured her, you know, stuff (laughs) we haven't seen yet. That's going to be in the next one. Uh, I know that you probably really enjoyed sort of a return to the Clone Wars for about, what was it, like two of those episodes? Yeah. There was some fun. Um, I th- Overall, I, I really liked all of the the shorts. I think it was just short, little simple stories. It doesn't get into too much, you know, depth. Um, you know, there's no impact on the, the overall, you know, galaxy in these little shorts. But they're just fun little things. I hope they do more. I'd love to see them really venture out into all eras um, and include like a ton more characters. But I think my favorite moments were probably the, actually the dress moment was actually one that stuck out to me. Um, the Night Watcher worm mm-hmm. thing was actually kind of cool because we'd only ever seen like the little head pop up in the movie to actually see it. Like the entire creature was actually really cool. Um, and then and also sort of freaky. Yeah, it was definitely freaky. And then IG-88 showing up was something I completely didn't expect. And I'm actually a really big fan of the IG droids. So that was pretty cool, too. Why? Because they're tall and skinny like you are? No. Well, maybe. I don't know. It's subconscious, <laughs> maybe. But I don't know why. Because it's such a weird design, I think. And they use them. Uh, you know, it shows up in Empire Strikes Back. But we got to see them kind of more menacing in the Clone Wars series. Mm-hmm. And um, I don't know. I just think it's a really unique design that's so Star Wars. It's like it doesn't look like any other kind of robot that you see in any other sci-fi. It's just a very unique design. Yeah, it is pretty cool. Well, you know that they have eight more of these that are coming out in October, right? Now I do. Oh, okay. You didn't know that. So, yeah, there's two waves. There's this wave and then the wave in October. Because I don't know if you remember, but at Celebration, when that Entertainment Weekly article broke, one of the episodes they talked about was an episode with Leia, Hera, and Han, and Ewoks. Do you remember that? Actually, yes. I do remember that. Okay. Because I remember being very excited for the idea that Hera and Han were going to be in the same space. Yes. And so that is in the second wave. And... Shameless plug here, but we just interviewed Jennifer Murrow, who is the sole writer for Forces of Destiny on Fangirls Going Rogue. So you can check that out now. It's actually out. It's our most recent episode. It's Priority Transmission number six, I believe. And she, we asked her, because we also asked Carrie Beck in our interview before that, if she could tease us with a hashtag for Forces of Destiny for the first wave. And Carrie Beck said hashtag Ewoks. And so we asked Jennifer if she could do the same thing for the second wave. And she said that she was going to agree with Carrie that, again, it was going to be hashtag Ewoks again. 
So that episode must be pretty awesome because Ewok Escape was pretty freaking cool. But as you said before, we are not a Star Wars animation show. You are listening to Star Wars Bookworms number 77. Hey, the year that Star Wars came out. It's a Star Wars number. It's a Star Wars number. Party. Insert party noise here that you won't do, but it would be cool if you did. (laughs) Anyway. I think it's funnier that you say it and then I don't do anything. I know. I'm Teresa Delgado, and my co-host is Aaron Goins, and we are here to talk about Rebel Rising today, but before we get to that, we want to talk about a little game we played. Well, Aaron suggested it, and I said we should do it, so there we did. We did. Yes, it did. It came up in our last episode, I think, right? Our last episode yeah, that we recorded, so. where we were joking around about ranking the entirety of the new canon novels, mm-hmm. and so we did it. We did. Insert drum roll here. <laughs> we ranked the novels from one to... We, we we did add some stipulations. We're only including adult or YA novels. So we're okay. not going yeah, down as true. low as the junior novels. So you're not going to see any um, uh, Servants of the, of the Empire, Empire or the Ezra novels. Nothing, None of that stuff. Um, also, we did not include the movie novelizations. Mostly right. because I haven't read them all. Yeah, and because they're movie novelizations. So... So, but we did rank the other ones. I thought it was interesting um, to see your rankings because I had never, re- we never really talked about this before. We never, we, we kind of do because we, at the end, we sort of say like, oh, this is probably now in my top three, four, five, something like that. But we've never ranked, like done the whole actual ranking thing. And you love ranking stuff, like to the point that it will, it took you what, like almost an hour to do this? Yeah, probably about an yeah. hour. I wanted to make sure I was I was being, you know, I put some thought into it. I wanted to make sure that I was actually ranking them, you know, just not off of a whim. So, yeah. Yeah, so me, on the other hand, took me all of about maybe five minutes. <laughs> and I, I do it, I love ranking stuff too, but I do it very differently. I do it based on the way that something makes me feel and like when I think back if I still remember those feelings and I recall imagery and character names and stuff and so the more I don't recall and the less emotional I feel the lower they go on my list and I don't really have to think about it that hard yeah it's funny because I think the end result is the same as far as I I rank it the same way (laughs) like as far as like what had an emotional impact on me how much i remember characters in the story like if i don't remember that much about a book i'm like oh i must not have liked it that much so i think it's the same thing it just takes me longer (laughs) it takes me longer to get there than it does you uh yeah so i don't know i don't think we don't really necessarily have to go through our entire rankings but i think it would be fun to compare maybe our top five and then maybe just oh that's so boring see okay and i'm you're you're coming from a person who does a lot of top 10 shows okay you want to do a full top 15 Let's do a full top 15. We don't have to spend a lot of time on anything lower than five. Okay. Okay, so we're just going to go through from 15 to number six. We're go, we'll go from the end up. So I'll just say like 15, you give me yours, I'll give you mine. And then we'll go up. And then when we get to our top five, we can kind of explain a little more why. Unless okay. one of these has a specific reason that you put it where you put it. Yeah, we can. We'll do a little bit of commentary, but I think I think it would be fun to just to compare like where we differ the most, like a a book that might be in your top five that's in my bottom five. Yeah, that'd be funny. Because there is a couple, or at oh. least one. Okay. Okay. Ready. Yes. Insert cool noise here. Okay. 
going to be the theme of the show. You're welcome. Okay, number 15. For me, it's Aftermath. For me, it's Heir to the Jedi. Total fruit. I will say this, because <laughs> one thing that made me realize, um, or something that this made me realize, is that out of the 15 novels that have been released that are canon, 14 of them I actually like. That's awesome. I don't dislike anything other than Heir to the Jedi. Everything else I liked to some extent. I didn't love them all, but I did like to some extent. So, yeah, Heir to the Jedi is the one I didn't. So, you know, it's I'm very similar to you. I actually like 13 of them. You just don't like the Aftermath novels. I said 13 of them. Ooh. I like Empire's End. <laughs> it snuck in. <laughs> all right. We're t- okay, 14. A New Dawn for me, which I know is in your wow, top five. what? I know, and I feel like I need what? to explain this because when we reviewed oh the book, God. like I gave it a favorable review. Yeah, we, what the heck, man? We had a... <laughs> it's it's like freaking Kanan or Can- what? Canera. How Canera, are you not like right, all I know. I think for me, like looking back, it just, it wasn't as impactful uh for the long term i had a really hard time even remembering details and it, i just remember the characters were so different when we read the novel we had never seen rebels yet so that's all i knew about those characters but now seeing rebels and looking back i feel like the characters are just so different than they were in rebels i almost mm. don't even see them the same so yeah that one fell pretty low for me but like i said i liked it i just didn't like it as much as the other 13 yeah, so what's interesting is that for me, that one, okay, I'll talk about it later. Anyway, <laughs> okay, so 14 for me is Aftermath Life Debt. 13 for me is Aftermath Empire's End. So the trilogy makes it there at the end, but Empire's End I think was the best. All 13 right. for you? 13 for me is Ahsoka. Ugh, sorry. Uh, well, I kind of felt like that was coming because you really didn't enjoy that one. I didn't connect with it. You, I, yeah. you did not. You liked it, but you didn't connect with it. And that's yeah. that's kind of a, an issue. I love you know? the character of Ahsoka, though. I will say that. Just that book for me wasn't what I wanted. <laughs> <laughs> okay, number 12. For me, it's Tarkin. I remember decently liking it, but I don't recall a whole lot about it. Tarkin falls very close for me too, but for me in this slot is Aftermath. The first Aftermath novel was my least favorite of the three. All right. Number 11 for me is Battlefront Twilight Company. And it, uh, I had a hard time with this one, but I do like the Battlefront games and I do like all of the detail and I do like the way that Alexander Freed writes. So like, it's higher because there are things I like about it, but like, I don't know <laughs> <laughs> this whole end part. The end part is hard. Yeah. A lot, it's of... a lot of the ones that I'm just kind of like, well, it's kind of fuzzy. Yeah. I'm the same way. They kind of, there's a lot that I could probably flip around in this area. Yeah. Okay. Um, 11 for you. Tarkin. Okay. All right. So we're in the same place in the same place. Okay. Number 10. Lords of the Sith for me. I actually feel like I need to reread this book. <laughs> I um, know I liked it, but I'm just like, I don't remember stuff. I loved Lords of the Sith, but Aftermath Empire's End is my number 10. I wonder if, I don't think our rankings match up at all as far as we don't have any novel that falls in the same slot. Mm, that's interesting. Which is interesting. 
Okay. Now we're in the top ten. So number nine for me is Heir to the Jedi. I actually really liked it. I'm like kind of I know you did. I remember that review. Yeah. I'm glad you did. I did. I'm I'm so happy you liked it because I didn't. I liked Toodle Fruits. I liked weird food. I liked liked random speeder bikes. I liked I liked Luke's girlfriend. I liked, you know, running away from people on an island. (laughs) (laughs) Um what number are we on again? Oh nine. Um this is a little spoiler for today's episode, but Rebel Rising falls here for me. Blasphemy. <laughs> we'll talk okay. more detail. But, yeah, we will. Yeah. We will. Okay, number eight, Ahsoka. And I still feel bad that I had to put it as low as I did <laughs> because <laughs> I really wanted to like it more. I liked it, just not as much as other stuff. Number eight for me is Thrawn, another recent one. Oh, wow. Craziness. Okay, number seven for me is Catalyst, and I did really like it. Oh, wow. We did have one matchup. Number seven for me is Catalyst. Yes. (laughs) Uh, Purely because of all the depth it added for those characters. And Rebel Rising kind of did the same thing. So. Yeah, exactly. I agree. I agree. I feel like poor Rogue One, it needed books in order to to help uh, give it depth. (laughs) That's how I feel about the entire prequel trilogy. But that's another episode. Whoa. Throw the gauntlet down. Okay. Um, number six is Thrawn for me. Just edged out of my top five. Battlefront Twilight Company. Um, actually really enjoyed it. it. Had more some of the more memorable characters that have been added to the canon, so I liked it a lot. All right, so now we're in the top five, so we'll give a little bit of commentary here. Okay. Not a whole lot, just a little. Number five for me is Bloodline. And I want you to tell yours and then we can commentary it up. Well, this so, works out well because number five for me is also Bloodline. Okay, we matched up again. Okay, cool. So, for me, it was the way that Leia was portrayed in this one. I actually really loved it. I loved all the back and forth with like her and Han. I liked some of the things... I don't know. There was just some stuff I really, really loved about it. Yeah, actually, this is interesting because I think when we reviewed Bloodline, I was... I was not that I was negative on it, but it, I was not as positive, I think, as I am now in retrospect on that novel. Mm-hmm. Um, something about, for whatever reason, the storyline really stuck with me. The the kind of crime lord, you know, character that they came up against oh, um, yeah, yeah. was yep. a, a very memorable character. And just the other characters they added to the canon, a lot of it really stuck with me. And um, yeah, so I think... Maybe if I had ranked it at the time, I probably would have ranked it lower. But now, in retrospect, it's it's in my top five. So yeah, sometimes Bloodline, time changes your mind. And Bloodline was such a great addition to the canon. Out of all of them, I feel like it was one of the better ones. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. Okay, number four. For me, kind of spoilery for today, but it's Rebel Rising. Like, I loved it and we'll talk about it later. What's your number four? <laughs> number four, and this is one of the ones that's a, a major difference than you, but Aftermath Life Debt actually made my top four because out of the three, I mean, the other two fell pretty low on my list, but for whatever reason, this one, I think because of all the Han and Chewie stuff, really, oh, yeah. really stuck with me and I, I really liked it a lot. So yeah. Okay, so number three. For me, it's Dark Disciple. And for me is Lost Stars. So here's a very interesting thing. One and three are flipped for you and I. 
Yes. So, and I think I know why. So I loved Dark Disciple and I know you loved it too. And you're going to talk about it in a minute. But for me, I love Dark Disciple because of Quinlan Voss and Asajj Ventress. There was just this, the interaction between the two of them, the depth, the darkness, all of that, you know, mixed in with a little bit of light here and there. Like it was just this super cool, amazing story. And I loved it. Not as much as Lost Stars. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah, I mean, well, we're not there yet. I'll talk about Lost Stars, but I really like Lost Stars. I think it was a, it was such a unique way of telling a story from kind of that perspective of characters we had never heard of going through major events that we had heard a ton about. And just that progression of those two characters, um, that kind of, you know, their paths you know, taking them in separate directions and bringing them back together and a lot of the tragedy involved in it. I, it was just, it was such a unique experience. Lost Stars was that that's why it's in my top three. And I'm going to give you guys a little tidbit that y'all may not know about Aaron. Okay. He actually really loves like romance stuff. Sappy love stories. <laughs> he loves sappy love when stories. When done well. Yes. And if I can relate with them usually. Yeah. There's sometimes <laughs> I like, I actually we'll talk about it today with Rebel Rising, with some of the, the more loved story stuff in that one, I couldn't relate with. So, but yeah, I'm a sucker yeah. for it sometimes. Yeah, you are. All right, so number two for me is A New Dawn. It's still, it was the first book of the new canon, and for me, it just, it holds its weight. I guess it's mainly because I really love Hera and Kanan, and I loved everything that happened in that, and that's where we first saw Ray Sloan, right? Um it's just this whole like thing like it's just traveled through like all of the canon novels so far not all of them but she just keeps appearing and it's like it just continues because of rebels so it's like it was the beginning of the beginning and that's a that's another one that's a big difference for us because it fell so low on my list compared to you mm -hmm. um but for me and this one i think is a pretty big difference between us two number two is lords of the sith um for there's a couple reasons I think this one really stuck with me. Partially, I'm a big fan of Paul Kemp, and I know he's he's one of those writers that like he's a love him or hate him. I know a lot of people in fandom wish he never wrote a Star Wars book ever, uh, but I really liked the stuff that he wrote in the Legends stuff, and this is the only canon novel he's written. I just like kind of that grittier, dark take on Star Wars sometimes. I don't want it to be Whoa. every book. Oh what? <laughs> what? You, gritty and dark, the light side wearing blue shirt guy? Well, no, it's, yeah, I prefer the light <laughs> side. I root for the good guys. Yes, this is true. But I do like a grittier take on Star Wars sometimes. I don't want it to be every novel I read. But, you know, Battlefront, Twilight Company was kind of that too. It's a dark, gritty take, kind of more in the trenches. And Lords of the Sith was kind of that same type of take on Star Wars. And they had the, a lot of force stuff going on which you know i like my force stuff that's true with the with the emperor invader so yeah i, I think i need see like lords of the sith and tarkin i feel like i need to reread i think those two are two of the ones i read super fast in order to read them for the show and it didn't stick you know because i just read them too quick i think tarkin would bore you on a reread i think you should give lords of the sith another try I want to read about his pants. There's like 10 pages about measuring his pants and the color of his pants. <laughs> <laughs> okay. 
Number one for me is Lost Stars, and for you is Dark Disciples. So we're going to kind of flip here. Uh, I, like you said, I love this way they told the story. I love these new characters. They are two of my absolute favorite characters ever to be added to Star Wars, ever, ever, ever. Sienna Ree and um, Thane are just like, oh, my God. And their love story just, it just makes me cry. And I just want them to be okay. And I want them to be together. And I want a new book. And I need, I like, my heart needs more. I I need it. (laughs) Oh my God. Anyway, okay. I'm going to stop being like a a weepy teenage girl now. But seriously, give me. Can I say my number one? Yes. So we we kind of already alluded to it, but my number one is Dark Disciple. Yes. Um, this was a continuation of, of the Clone Wars. I love the Clone Wars series. Uh, it, it starred some of my favorite characters. Quinlan Voss was a character that I really loved in the Legends stuff. And so when they brought him into canon with the Clone Wars, I thought that was really cool. Although the character is very different than he was in Legends. Um, I like this version of the character. your favorite Star Wars character? You literally named your kid after him. Um, he's not really, he's not now. I, it, it's funny because I was thinking about this the other day. If, you know, there's a few characters that come to mind when I think of my favorite Star Wars characters, I think it's really easy for me to name four characters that it kind of transitions between. Ooh, who? Uh, Luke Skywalker, Obi-Wan Kenobi, Kanan Jarrus, and Quinlan Voss. Those four characters are like my standout. Like I just, I really enjoy all four of those characters. Um, but right now, I don't know. I think Kanan might be my current favorite. Makes but, sense. Yeah. I don't so think that surprises you, you love, right? Well, no. What else do you like about Dark Disciple? Uh, Dark Disciple, I just really liked that the continuation of the Clone Wars because that was supposed to be episodes of the Clone Wars. So I was glad to get that in a book form. I was really hoping we'd get more novels like that, but I don't know if that's going to happen now. Um, and I just really like the characters that it was focused on. And I, it was an unexpected pairing. And the the fact that they ended up being in a relationship was very unexpected. It was so awesome. But it was oh fun. Gosh. It was a fun read. I love like all the it, we. It's something I complain about right now with the current novels is we don't get enough with the Jedi and the Force. But with this, my top two, Dark Disciple and Lords of the Sith, are very. There's a lot of stuff going on with the Force, and Dark Disciple especially. You have Quinlan Voss, you know, who is a Jedi who is learning about the dark side and having to kind of pretend that he's, you know, joining her, but then he's not. And then he goes dark, but does he really? And it's, there's a lot of, it was just really fun, a really fun read. And with a, with a, um, impactful, um, ending that I won't say too much because I don't want to spoil anyone that hasn't read it, but I, yeah, number one, easy. Okay. So here's my question to you. Granted, we have our own personal rankings, but if somebody walked up to you and said, I want to read a Star Wars book, but I really only have time to read one of the ones that are the new canon novels, which one should I read? What would you tell? Huh. There's so many like variables, but but I will give you an answer without getting too deep into it. I think actually I would say Lost Stars. Yeah, me too. Because it's not, there's not a lot, you don't have to know a lot about other characters and kind of the history of characters to get a a lot out of that story. 
So. Right, and and you it kind of covers a wide breadth of the mm-hmm. Star Wars canon, and you get to meet new characters, which I think is important in a novel, is that you're not just following characters that you know. You get new ones, and you get there's all this stuff there, and there's a there's a cohesive storyline that you could pull out and put anywhere else, whether it was in the world of Harry Potter or in the world of Lord of the Rings. Like you could literally pick up those two characters and plop them down, you know, shift a couple of details, and boom. Like that's how that's why it's so good. Yeah, if somebody has never seen, or if someone has only ever seen the movies, um, you can pick up that book and read it, and and not be lost at all. No pun intended. Yep. <laughs> I was but, trying to get there, but it wasn't it wasn't coming out of my mouth. I was like, what's that word? Whereas and I think Lords of the Sith, it's it's funny because I actually had somebody just the other day text me and say, Hey, I only have I have one I can buy one Star Wars book. What should I buy of the new canon? And I told them either Lords of the Sith or Lost Stars. Because I feel like both of those books are books that you can pick up and the focus in the books are on characters that you know from the movies. Um, well, that's not true about Lost Stars, but the events in that book um, are, are straight out of the movies. You don't need to know much. But Dark Disciple, I would never recommend to a new book fan because there's too Mm-mm. much going on. There's too much tied in. Like, I don't who's this Quinlan Vos guy or who's this Saj Ventress? If you don't know the Clone Wars, if you don't know, you know those characters, you're not going to get a lot out of that book. Mm-hmm. I would agree. Well, cool. Well, that's fun. Yeah. Yeah. So, so news-wise, there's not really anything to talk about. Uh, there hasn't been anything. D23 is actually getting ready to start tomorrow as we record this. We're recording it on July 13th. So we don't really know if there's going to be anything that comes out books-wise from D23. Probably not. Uh, we're probably just going to get Star Wars Disney Park stuff as well as uh, some film stuff and maybe some her universe clothing related things but other than that uh i think it's gonna be pretty quiet on the on the book world from d23 so i will just have to wait and see we do know this is kind of new ish news we do know that star wars has said that they will not have a presence at san diego comic-con they will have a booth there and their focus will be just on their booth and just you know promoting Star Wars like they usually do, but there will be no press, no interviews, no anything. Um, so no official presence other than at the booth for San Diego Comic-Con. All right. Canceling yep. my plans. <laughs> yeah. So we are here to review Rebel Rising, and I read it a little while back. You just crash course your way through it i did i literally read it in four days which for me i know some people can read a book in like one day and it's no big deal for me reading a book in four days is like that's that's i'm I'm impressed with myself i should say Mm -hmm. (laughs) and i did a bit of a hybrid because we talked about doing a hybrid with thrawn um partially because well you did the audiobook right but you also Mm -hmm. did some of the the novel for thrawn um and i did the same thing for this book Partially yeah, I did, I did all audiobook for this. I was curious to hear the audio side of things, and I had some extra Audible credits, so it didn't. It, it wasn't like I had to go out and buy it. And uh, it was partially out of necessity. I needed to maximize my uh, commute time so I could finish this book in time so we could review it. But it turned out really well that I got to do a little bit of both. So, 
All right, well, let's jump into this. Um, so Rebel Rising was released by Disney Press. The author is Beth Revis, and it was released May 2nd of 2017, and the publisher summary goes like this. When Jun Erso is eight years old, her mother is murdered and her father taken from her to serve the Empire. But despite the loss of her parents, she is not completely alone. Saw Guerrera, a man willing to go to any extremes necessary to resist imperial tyranny, takes her in as his own daughter and gives her not only a home, but all the abilities and resources she needs to become a rebel. Jen dedicates herself to the cause and the man, but fighting alongside Saw and his people brings with it danger and the question of just how far Jen is willing to go as one of Saw's soldiers. When she faces an unthinkable betrayal that shatters her world, Jen will have to pull the pieces of herself back together and figure out what she truly believes in and whom she can really trust. And I know we already said it, but I'm going to say it again just just to cover our bases that we are going to be talking spoilers for this book. Yes. 100%. Yes. So if you don't want to know, read it and then come back. Yeah. So... Basically, we really did enjoy the way that we did Thrawn. We asked you guys on Twitter and on Facebook, in our Facebook group, your thoughts on Thrawn. And we used those to sort of generate the conversation. We did the same thing again for this. We just brought it up on Facebook. We got a lot of responses. So we may not read all of them, but we have them all here in front of us. And we're going to use them to sort of help drive this particular conversation. So I know I was all excited about Rebel Rising and getting you to read it. Where, how do you feel? How do I feel in this moment? Yes, about Rebel Rising. Um, for, for me, this one wasn't, I wasn't as excited about this one as, you know, other announcements that had come, come up recently or around that time for other books. I actually was more interested in reading Guardians of the Wills although I haven't read it yet. Um, so, but this one, I don't know why it being a, a Jin Urso focused novel and it wasn't, I guess I wasn't looking for more information about her necessarily. So I wasn't like, oh yeah, this is gonna be an awesome book. I will say that I was proven wrong because this book, I didn't know I needed it, but I did. Oh, that's so awesome. Like I, I love that you just said that. Like that might make me cry. What really? <laughs> well, because it's like, it's amazing that you got to have that moment. Because, like for me, there have been books in the Star Wars history of books, not just the new canon, but there have been books that have come out that I've read that I didn't know I needed, you know, or movies that have come out that like I didn't know I needed to see certain things until I saw them, and then I was like, wow, that was awesome, and I needed that. So, yay. <laughs> It does. It just does such a good job of filling in that that gap of time for this character. Um, you know, we get to see in Rogue One, we get to see what happens to her family, and then she goes, you know, hides in the cave, and then Saul rescues her, and then you kind of see her as an adult and go through her adventure in the movie, in her tragic end. But to get like what led to that, and to see all of the like hardships she went through it was like whoa like this is this is a character that now when i watch that movie i'm going to look at her completely differently yes be because of this book yeah and i have i've seen rogue one after reading rebel rising and 
she is totally different to me. I understand things that Felicity Jones put into her voice or, you know, inflections and like the way that she acts and how she looks at people and why she moves the way that she does. Like it makes so much more sense. It's almost like you wonder, did Felicity Jones read Rebel Rising before she did the role? You know, or read Catalyst, like, prior to. Catalyst and Rebel Rising are essential reads for Rogue One. Like, I'm, and I'm, I'm sad to say that, because Rogue One was still really great as a film, but there's a lot of stuff you just did not get and did not understand. And for the hardcore fans, for the average fan, probably fine, not really thinking about it, but for the hardcore fans... If you haven't read Rebel Rising or Catalyst, you need that. Just like Aaron said, like you don't know you need it, but you need it. Yeah, I would definitely say that about Rebel Rising even more so than Catalyst. I felt like Catalyst was was great in setting the stage for the you know the Death Star program and kind of Galen Erso, but because Galen wasn't a major character in the movie um, that you've spent a lot of time with. It didn't have, like, Catalyst, although I really enjoyed reading it, I didn't feel like it was as necessary as Rebel Rising. Rebel Rising really gives you major insight into the main character of Rogue One. So that yeah, I, it does. I really do, like, if you if you haven't read it yet, read it, and then go watch Rogue One immediately after. <laughs> well, and to kind of go along with what we're saying, um, Brandon Boylan said, I love how it gave more depth to the internal struggle Jen had with regards to her father. It adds so much to the already amazing scene in Rogue One where Jen sees the hologram of Galen, and she's he's so right. He's so right. I hadn't even really thought about that. Like when she sees that hologram and like how she just sort of breaks down because it's like all of her internal walls and everything come down. And it's because of what she goes through in this book. She struggles in this book so much with her feelings of parents and adults. And that's everybody. I mean, she's she's like in this state of like, I don't trust anyone and nobody takes care of me and nobody gives a crap about me, you know? Yeah, and John Leopold actually kind of says something similar. Uh, he says, "I thought it did a fantastic job filling in the gap between Saul finding her and breaking out of, and her breaking out of prison. It really shows why Jin despises both of her father figures, Galen and Saul, at the beginning of Rogue One. And you know, kind of along those lines of that internal struggle that she has with her father, and seeing her break down when she sees the hologram. It's also this book really portrays Saul as her other father, you know, her other father figure where to the point of he, he called her his daughter multiple times Mm -hmm. throughout the book. And I never really got that from watching the movie. You know, I saw, you know, he saved her and you knew that he was a family friend. And even in Catalyst, she got some, some of that too. But this is the first time I've actually seen Saul as like, he was her family. He was, he basically raised her. And I never really, you know, I never really thought about it that way until this book. He really did raise her. And it also helps you kind of understand, like, why she's so rough and why she's just this, you know, very unpoised person. 
And it's because she was basically raised living on the floor in like a cave, eating nothing but like scraps of food and being told to lie about who you are and not being trusted. I think that was another thing that really that really caused issues for her is they didn't trust her. Nobody trusted her, not even saw, you know, and to the point that like. She was forced to, like, basically play with my interpretation of, like, a Rubik's Cube forever. Uh, the, well, her code, re- her code how, replicator. Like, well, that's how she like, got so good at the, you know, all the forgery and stuff, I guess. Yeah, which is, which is awesome. But, but at the same time, I mean, you're looking at a person who has been seriously neglected for the majority of their life. You know, and then all of her memories of her parents are, like, completely tainted now, except for maybe her memories of her mother. But even then, in this novel, she starts. To, the older she gets, the more she starts to struggle with that. And she, it always comes out like when she's thinking about the kyber crystal that she's wearing. Mm-hmm. You know, and the kyber crystal that she's wearing ends up being like a call out because, like, we noticed it, but in the in Rebel Rising, people noticed it too, and they knew what it was, and like that was something that was very dangerous for her. Right. So the we fact- also learn why she has her scarfy thing she wears. The fact that she was able to hold on to that through her entire life all the way up until Rogue One is pretty impressive because mm-hmm. of all the things she went through and even being a prisoner, you know, it was very likely that that would have been taken away from her, but she was able to keep a hold of it. And, you know, you have to think about the, the whole idea of the Force intervening too, you know, because of that, because Kyber Crystals, we now know that there is a connection through a Kyber Crystal to the Force that it's almost somewhat sentient i guess and so i think there was some some of that going on too where it wasn't just pure luck that she was able to retain it there was you know the force was actually intervening at least i'd like to think so as a fan of such things Mm -hmm. i'm a fan of those kind of things too so i wanted to touch on this a little bit andrew staples actually makes a comment that i kind of disagree with but i also think it's important to talk about when we're talking about ya and about the books that we've seen so far. He says, it's a little dark for a young adult book. It makes me feel really bad for Jen, but a very good read. And I really like the backstory. So I don't really know how many YA books you've read, Andrew, but this is not dark for a YA book. (laughs) It's not because in the YA genre, you have to think that most of those books are in a lot of ways, they're fantasy novels. Uh, And we're also talking about like the hunger games, for example, the hunger games is way darker than this so much darker uh to the point of some insanity in the hunger games and i love it but it's way darker so i actually don't feel like this is that dark i just feel like i feel like some people may interpret it as being dark because it's we're not dealing with aliens we're dealing with people and we're dealing with a child and we're dealing with a child with no parents and like i said before a child that's kind of neglected and growing up in a very rough lifestyle and that can be very hard for people to watch and digest it was. It was hard to read. Some of the, a lot of the stuff that was going on was hard for me to read. Um, Scott Johnson also commented uh, along similar lines. He says the book dealt with some things that seemed very out of place for a YA novel. So he kind of agrees with Andrew. Um, the gruesome detail of the suicide might have been a, mi- a bit much. I don't think something that gory has ever been described in a Star Wars uh, book like that since maybe Death Troopers or Red Harvest. Um, so yeah, he kind of he kind of agrees. I'm with you, actually, Teresa, on this. Um, I do think 
Star Wars has gone here as far as darkness, even outside of the YA novels, even in the adult novels. Um, Death Troopers and Red Harvest aside, even thinking back to just Lords of the Sith, you know, and, and uh, I think, if I'm remembering correctly, even Dark Disciple had some pretty dark and violent scenes. So it's not it's not something new for Star Wars, but as far as YA novels go, because I don't read that many, and so the ones that I have read have been Star Wars novels. Uh, Lost Stars, Ahsoka, and now this book. And for me, it's funny because I think some of the content in the YA novels is has been more... Um, Adult than some of the adult, stuff we get yeah. in the in the canon adult novels, right? And I th- it, so there were a couple times when I was reading this book, I was like, "Wow, this that was really dark." But maybe that is something that is it's kind of except expected in a YA novel, um, maybe even more than it is in at least in Star Wars adult novels. Well, okay, so a couple of things came to mind because I know you've read some other books that would actually be considered YA. So you've read all of the Harry Potter series. And while the beginning of the Harry Potter series is technically children's mm-hmm. novels, as they as you get past about number four, they really start transitioning in total into what a YA novel is. Uh, so I want you to think about uh, Deathly Hallows. Deathly Hallows is super dark. Like so super dark. And it's just it's very similar to that and here's something that i think why a lot of our young kids don't really read anymore so if we can get them into reading which is kind of where i believe the ya novel genre has sprung from is trying to get kids back into reading and how they get kids back into reading is mixing in all of these real life dark situations that are actually happening to a lot of our kids. And I know this from my job. I have students that are, you know, children of parents that are drug addicts and have been in jail and are alcoholics and have many of them have suffered, you know, sexual abuse or family abuse or emotional abuse. It's things that they know. And so when they can see this, in a book, it keeps them interested because they know those things. And so we get a lot of those life lessons. We get a lot of that stuff about this is how you can deal with these kind of things, but in a fantasy or science fiction frame, you know? And so for those people who don't really know YA, it's kind of what they do. It's like teaching mechanisms for these kids and teaching them coping skills and teaching them other things that they may not necessarily get in the real world. Yeah, I I think it's not out of the realm of what you would expect to see in a YA novel, but I will agree that there was some very dark content in this book um, between the suicide, uh, between some of the, the things that happened to certain characters. Um, I mean, shoot, Jin basically facilitated... Uh, that crew of the ship to to like blast people out into space through the airlock you know she basically murdered four people (laughs) i was like well but the thing was is that she was she didn't really have a choice she was being forced to do that and we saw that struggle with her because she didn't want to do that there here's this is where we really get to see saw saw is so i don't care and to hell with anybody else but me and my crew 
And, you know, he does not believe in the rebellion. He doesn't believe in organized or stuff. And so for him, it's the mission and what they're doing. And he basically forced that upon her because if she didn't complete that task and do that, then she was not a part of the crew because she wasn't willing to do it his way. And so can you imagine being forced into that position by somebody that you view as your father? I mean, God, like that has to suck on so many levels. Well, Saul and Saul was actually, I think we had somebody who made the comment that, um, yeah, Junior Eaton made the comment that he, he says, I'm pretty sure Saul actually killed more innocent people in this book than most of the bad guys we've read about. Mm-hmm. And that's true. I mean, he he's not necessarily a good guy. He is fighting the empire, but he's using methods that are very violent and very dark that most people would probably not condone. And you, you start to see why uh, the rebellion, although did partner with him to some extent, they kind of wanted to keep him you know, at arm's length. They didn't really want to associate with him because he was outside of the realm of what they were comfortable with, his actions. Um, and we got to see that specifically the one thing that stands out to me was when they did when they um, set off those those the bombs at that party those little bombs that shot like razor blades and killed everybody yeah, oh like, my that God. was like that I was, was reading like, that like what? that is that is horrendous like I, I know horrendous to think uh, of that happening to people and especially innocent people believe, most of the people I there were innocent believe that. I couldn't believe that. And like something you mentioned earlier, and I meant to comment on, you know, the suicide stuff, that doesn't really bother me, but I can see how it bothers people. Hmm. Okay. I need to think about a way to say this. That kind of stuff for a lot of people is really hard to talk about because suicide and, you know, things along that nature of that line, people, people still in America big time don't talk about it. So I can see how that would be something that's weird and like seems out of place. But like for me, I was like, yes, they went there. I was so happy about it. Like so happy that they went there. And it's because those things do need to be talked about in my opinion. But talking about this, like with his comment, um, same comment, Junior Eaton's comment where he says, uh, not everything is so black and white, good guys versus bad guys. That is this book so importantly because Saw and his crew of people and all the people involved in it are not good guys. You know, they're not bad guys either. They're like those gray people. You know, they just, they're out for themselves and do whatever works in the moment. And like that, oh my gosh, that scene with the razor blades, like I I think I did cry because I just was like, that's so freaking terrible. (laughs) It's so bad. Yeah, and I don't, like, reading Star Wars a lot of times, kind of like what I said about uh, Lords of the Sith, how it's like, I like the dark and gritty, but I don't want every Star Wars book to be like that. That's kind of how I felt about this book. I really liked that they got, that they went there with some of these things, that they were, they didn't shy away from kind of some of the shock factor. But I wouldn't want every Star Wars book to be like this, because then I would just be depressed all the time. You know, this was a sad, like, there really wasn't even, like, that triumphant ending for the character you know, you kind of just got to see what shaped Jin, but it's mm-hmm. not good stuff. You know, she went through like some of the worst stuff that we've ever seen a character go through. Um, I think uh, Ben Howard. Ben Howard. Made a I was going to say that. He says that uh, reading this really leaves you feeling like Jin has one of the most tragic lives in all of Star Wars, and it's true. And then 
that's just this novel. Then you get to to Rogue One and you watch that movie and then she dies at the end. You know, so there's not even this happy ending for this character at all. But I don't think for Jen that there was ever going to be a happy ending. I think where she started at, you know, at the age of eight and what happened to her and then how her life transpired as we see everything that she went through, there was no happy ending for her ever. And there was maybe a, a, a glimpse in time of where there could have been. So let's kind of transition to probably one of my favorite parts of the book, but this is when she finds her little family that she ends up being with, which uh, God, names, I do not have the book in front of me and names are blanking on me at the moment because well, the guy, the kid's name was Hatter. I, Hatter. That. I forget the, the mother's name. Um, but yeah, so the, yeah, so she, she ends up, uh, this is after Saw has left her. So this is the big thing that happens to her is that Saw leaves her behind. He says he's going to come back for her and then he doesn't come back for her and he just leaves her. And she ends up with these with this mom who is a cargo shipper person, transporter mm-hmm. person, and her son who's about the same age as Jen, which I think is about 16. And she gets to live a life of somewhat peace where she's not worried all the time. There's no people coming after her. She's not having to kill people. But at the same time, she continues carrying a knife in her boot and she's always suspicious of everybody. And it's very hard for her to let her guard down. And it's really hard to see somebody who is that traumatized by stuff that they can't, they can't just relax and be happy because I don't think she really ever had a chance. I mean, she had glimpses. Yeah. I at had that point. I had, a. it's kind of one of those things where you have to make yourself forget what ends up happening to a character. Cause we already know where her story's going. But as I'm reading this part, I'm like, Oh, she found a family. Like I hope she gets to stay with them. <laughs> you know, like even though I know she doesn't, um, yeah, but you, it was just, it was so sad for her to have this this potential, but you just already knew that it was going to end poorly. I don't think I, I predicted that it was going to end as poorly as it did for these characters. Mm-mm. So, I, let's and like, see. I guess since we're talking about it, we can bring it up now, the Hatter, uh, Jin kind of little love story that was very brief. That was oh, that was one God, part where it's so tragic and it just like makes me so sad was, and I loved it but it was like oh come on it was very tragic I will say though I think if they had left it out the book probably wouldn't have suffered from it because it was so quick um, I could have done without like the little love story part of it like I liked the connection to the family and the him as a friend and her mom and in that but then for them to have the like as soon as they started describing the way she was like looking at the way his hair fell across his face i was like oh i know where this is going oh uh, and i loved every minute of i'm it. sure you did but I did. for me i was just I kinda, did. it was a little bit of an eye roll and then he takes her off into the ship and like all this stuff and i'm like okay okay let's, i have but I have to talk about it. like part. i'm sorry i'm sorry that it bugs you but like for me it was great because it was like it was very organic for them. They weren't together the whole time. It was like something that kind of happened towards the end. And it was a lot because they were alone on the planet together because um, his mom was out traveling around. And they just really connected on some things. And I, they connected on a lot, but then not on others because she'd been through so much and he hadn't been through anything. And he 
really, except for the loss of his sister, and he wanted to go through stuff, and he saw her as a means to him being able to experience stuff. But for her, she wanted that quiet peace and calm that he offered her. It's like they wanted the opposite of what they each had or had been through. So that was tragic in and of itself. But there was just like two moments, maybe three moments where she allowed herself to just be with him. And when that finally happened, I was just like, thank you, Lord Jesus. She's getting a moment to just let go and be a teenager and to be in love with this guy. You know, but then, of course, as with everything with Jin, he gets blown to bits and he dies. Yeah, that was sad. so. I mean that that sucked so much for me. I I just kept going. Please let them show up. Please let them show up. Please let them show up. And they never did. And I was just like, wow. Yeah, and even the kind like, of the can, way she can we found really out. just give her something? <laughs> God, nope, not in this book apparently. Not in her life. Because she went through like the, I kind of liked how the book progressed. You know, she starts out with Saul, and then she ends up, you know getting separated from him and then she moves on to the next stage where it's different characters and kind of progresses through where she has like four or five different groups that she ends up kind of connecting with until the end um each group kind of bringing different a different dynamic to the story so i i actually really enjoyed and it, and it it presented her with a lot of different choices where she had to decide you know am i just basically trying to survive am i trying to help out this group you know she she had to actually help the empire at one point, which I thought was interesting. You know, she's working for the empire. She's helping out rebels. She's, she's just surviving. But in order for her to survive, she's actually having to take sides here and there. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to bring up Amanda Reynolds comments here because I feel like they really fit with what we're talking about. She says, not only does this book enforce, uh, hang on, let me skip that. Where am I? Okay, she says, you root for her to be happy to have success, but you know that she will not. Despite everything that happens to her, it makes her into the woman that we see in Rogue One, the woman who needed to be who she was to do what she did. The book did a great job at giving an insight into her past and what she, what made her who she was, and it left room for other stories. It was dark, but it made me love Jen more than just the movie by itself did, and I agree with that 100%. Yeah, I agree as well. Um, in fact, um, when I was watching Rogue One, and it, like I think we had we kind of did our review of Rogue One on the show, and we were talking about our favorite characters, and you know I was like, oh, Cassian and K2SO, but Jin wasn't really even. I think I was at that point even a, a bigger fan of Bodhi Rook than I was Jin. I just didn't really connect with the character. Um, but now, kind of knowing all of this backstory, I think that's going to change the way that I see that character now. Yeah. And you were bringing up having to pick sides with, you know, the rebellion or the empire. And Sue Malenfant actually said she just wanted to be left alone. I don't blame her for not picking sides. Both the rebels and the empire hurt her. And that is so true. You know, she even states that in the book that like, why would you want to be with the rebels? They just hurt people. Why would you want to be with the empire? They just hurt people. Like for her, there was no place. There was no place to go because she saw violence and hurt and cruelty on both sides. And the truth is, is that even though we were rooting for the rebellion when we watched the original trilogy, they hurt 
and kill people that are innocent too, just like the Empire does. They just do it in a different way and for a different reason. And it's like no in war, nobody is excused from what they've done. And even Cassian in the movie in Rogue One, he says something like that about all of the things that he's done yeah. for a good cause in his opinion. But like he's all the terrible things that he's done. Yeah, this this book and Rogue One both together show us the darker side of the rebellion and, and kind of what led to the rebellion. You know, someone mm-hmm. like a Saul, who they and they always refer to him like his partisans, Saul's partisans. I think they specifically use that term so we can differentiate, you know, between the actual rebellion that we see in the original trilogy versus what maybe kind of led to the rebellion and the kind of the the darker side of things. Um, so yeah, it's you're right. There there are dark sides of both sides. In the end, the rebels, I think, are not as, uh, as I don't know what the right word is. They're less but, bad. <laughs> right. They're, I think it's the minority when you're talking about the rebellion. Um, Saul is kind of an outlier mm-hmm. as opposed yeah, to being agree. the norm. Now, there's a really cool storytelling aspect that happens in this book that we haven't touched on, but it sort of flip-flops from her story progressing up to her going to jail and then her time in jail. And they sort of talk about it. It's like in the book, they always talk about, you know, cell block, blah, 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 name, Liana Halleck, month, whatever month that she's in jail. And so you're getting kind of her aspect on things, the way that she looks at stuff from being put in jail And that sort of helps tie into where she is when she gets rescued in Rogue One. But then we flip back to how she got to the point that she's in jail. And I actually kind of liked that transition because it was like, for me, it like kind of helps keep the story fresh and moving. Although sometimes I will admit I wanted to fast forward through the prison part just to get back to more of like how she got there. Yeah, I really enjoyed the prison part just because it was so connected with what we saw in Rogue One. You know, we mm-hmm. get to see her being rescued in the turbo tank and and all that, and you kind of want, and you actually see her in her cell yeah. at the beginning of the movie. So I could visualize all of this that's going on in these scenes because they had shown us so much in the movie. So I really liked these these uh, these scenes in the prison. I really enjoyed the fact that that whole list that he reads off of all her charges in the movie where he's like, you know, he's like, here's he, he reads off the list of all the charges that were against her forgery and, um, possession of illegal weapon or whatever, all the things. And we actually get to see all the events that led to those charges, uh, through the novel. So I thought that was actually pretty cool. So Ben Hauer also had, he left probably like a really, lengthy message for us and so we pulled out some stuff but there was something in here I wanted to ask you about because I know you pick up on things that come from other parts of Star Wars faster than I do sometimes so he said the author also did a very impressive job of pulling in elements from other stories both legends and canon things like Bloodburn, the smugglers run asteroid field Bits from the Rogue One visual guide and references to the Clone Wars popping up are the icing on the cake of a well-put-together story. What's interesting is I recognize the term Bloodburn because I feel like I had heard it somewhere before, but I couldn't for the life of me remember where. So 
what things did you notice? Because I, like I said, you pick up on this stuff. Well, I know you noticed at least one thing. I did. You noticed. <laughs> <laughs> like what did I notice? Well, I'm thinking. I'm guessing you did. The the Abami the gig. Did you pick up on that? I have no idea what you're talking about. Right, right okay. Now. <laughs> The reason I thought you picked up on it is because I think you liked it when I posted it on Twitter. But I just like it when you post smart things. Didn't mean I knew what you were talking about. <laughs> so they refer they referenced uh, one of her dolls, uh, Abami the Gig, which is from the Rogue One visual guide, where they you know how they have that layout, that page in the visual guide of all her little dolls, like the homemade dolls, mm-hmm. and the one looks like uh, like a wampa. And under the caption under it in the visual guide says Abami the gig. And so when I saw that pop up in the book, I was like, oh, wow, that is such a cool little reference to such a obscure thing from the, the visual guide. So I thought that was cool. But yeah, they, she did. I mean, he, I actually read this comment from Ben and thought about it at first because he's comparing to the way James Lucino does that in a lot of his books where he'll just put these really small references and he kind of scatters them all throughout. So if you are really invested in the Star Wars universe, you kind of get that that little extra flavor. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when he first compared her to Lucino, I was like, ah, I don't know. Lucino does a lot. Like I maybe there was one or two things that she did. But then I started thinking about it and I actually went back through some of my the notes that I took and I realized she actually did. She dropped a lot of like, more obvious references, so we got the reference to Stila. You know, we, they talked about Stila, um, you know, Saul's right. sister. So that that's a more obvious reference to the Clone Wars. Um, but then there was more obscure things like Abami the Gig. Um, what were some other things that I noticed? Where is Bloodburn from? Because I know I've heard it before. So that was um, Leia's, Leia's assistant that... Was the oh, pilot. that's right, and and bloodline. Right, yeah, she had ah, ah, that's it. Yeah, so that was. See, yeah, the was... funny thing is, is that I probably recognized it while I was reading, but I, you know, it's been a little bit since I read it, and so I kind of forgot. But right. yeah, no, I, you're right. That's cool. <laughs> but what was something else I noticed? Um, oh, so do you remember the episode of Rebels where? Um, Agent Callus and Zeb. You mean gets... Alexander Callus? Alexander Callus. Now we know that. I don't know. Is that canon? I almost felt like it he is. was joking. No, it, no, it, it, no, he wasn't. It's canon. Alex Callus. I don't know. Okay. Well, that's going to take some know, getting used to. Do you to. know why? Yes, I heard the whole story. Um, okay. But I didn't know if that was just him saying, well, if he had a first name, it would be Alex, or that's literally his first name. But I guess it is canon. I mean, no, if, if Filoni says it, it's canon, right? But it's actual. <laughs> it's true. So when Alexander Leland Callis, she confirmed the spelling, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> when Alexander Callis was hanging out with Zebarelios in the Zebarelios. We're gonna do full names for everybody. Um in that ice cave where they were trapped together. And remember when Callis gives tells that story about kind of the re- one of the reasons why he wasn't a big fan of Lasat, the Lasat people, was that one uh, Lasat, who was working with Saul's partisans, and and like basically brutally killed many of Callus's men. Do you remember that? Ooh, I remember the episode. I don't remember all the details. So that story, um, there was a reference, and I don't know if you know. There's, it. I'm not a hundred percent sure, but there was a reference to when they were talking about Jin living with Saul on his base. That at one point a Lasat visited them. 
Oh, so, dang. So I was oh. like, oh, well, that would be interesting if it was that same Lasat. So things like that. Um, but yeah, I thought, the more I thought about it, I agreed with Ben that she, she really did drop in a lot of really cool little references. That's neat. Hmm. I hadn't really... That's interesting. It's like all the stuff people notice, and then you like, man, I need to go back and reread it again. <laughs> Even some of the alien species names, like there was the Gigorin that she ended up getting into a fight with, and she stabbed in the arm. Which I don't is, know what a Gigorin looks which is like. the same species as the, um, and I forget his name, but from Rogue One, the the one, the big Yeti looking character. <laughs> but no, so yeah, they're just just different things. But yeah, it, it was. There were there were little nuggets, little Easter eggs in there if you were paying attention. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, I guess we'll kind of wrap up here. I do want to say thank you to the following people for leaving comments on the Facebook post. And we're sorry that we couldn't get to you guys, but Mark Mulcaster, Jeffrey Kevin Payne, Mark Dector, Bobby Gordon... And Brandon Harbecki, we've read them all, and it's awesome. And we definitely used y'all's stuff as we kind of like built this up. Um, but thank you for leaving leaving stuff for us. Keep doing it; it really helps. I actually really like having their stuff because it they pull out stuff that I forgot about. Yeah, I, I think it's a great way for us to review the book. So I think we'll continue to do it. Um... And we may even try it for the comics, although we might not get nearly as many comments. But um, it is it is fun to kind of hear everyone else's opinions and then get to weave them into our thoughts as we talk about the book. Um, yeah, so overall thoughts for you. I know that you have this rated lower than I do on our official canon rankings that we have now. <laughs> We're going to have to update the rankings every time. Like, okay, Yes, we did, will. I, overall thoughts on this one, it was... It was a very important read, I think, for me to know the history of Jin and to kind of see all that she went through and in order to appreciate the character more. Um, you know, there it would definitely, as just as kind of like a standalone story, I don't think this is one I'm going to go back and reread. You know, I, there wasn't a lot of, there weren't a lot of elements where I'm like, oh, wow, that was so cool. Like, I want to go back and read it. It was just, it was almost, I read it purely for the informative side of it to kind of fill in that backstory. Um, and I was a little sad there wasn't some sort of a more hopeful resolution at the end of the book, but I guess that didn't wouldn't really make sense for this character. It would not make any sense. And you need to quit wanting everybody to get, <laughs> to get good things. <laughs> That's not the way the world works. Uh, at least not in her case. I would say, like you, I agree. It's an important read for anybody in the Star Wars fan community and people that are wanting more. It really helps you understand Jen. It helps you really understand Rogue One better and understand just everything about it, really. Um, it's more of an important read, I think, than Catalyst, but I think Catalyst is really important for people that are wanting to dive into Rogue One even deeper. And so this is one of those weird ones that it's kind of like lost stars where i would say you need to read lost stars and you need to read rebel rising because i feel like they just accentuate the canon of star wars that we have now so much better so let's see on our next episode well i'm not gonna make any promises on our radar 
for possibly reviewing on the next episode will be the comic Obi-Wan and Anakin. So that seems kind of cool. And we're also looking at Guardians of the Wills, maybe. Yep. Yeah. I know that that too. I I didn't realize that was more of a junior novel. Oh, it totally is. Not really a YA (laughs) novel. I, I don't know why I thought both Rebel Rising and Guardians of the Wills were both kind of on the same level. Um, but I saw it in the bookstore the other day and was flipping through it and I was like, oh, wow, this is, this would be a really fast read. So that would be one I think we could probably knock out pretty quick too. Yeah. I mean, we could do a comic and Guardian of the Wills together, but we'll see what happens. We don't know. We kind of, we don't make promises anymore (laughs) (laughs) because they never happen the way we want them to. So between shows, you can find us on Twitter. We are at SW Bookworms and you can send us an email to starwarsbookworms at gmail.com. And you can find us on Facebook, uh, facebook.com slash Star Wars Bookworms and our Facebook group, which is where all these comments that we were reading in today's episode came from. So if you want to join our group and to, and participate um, in future reviews, uh, head on over to Facebook and uh, request a, to join the group. You can find all of our episodes on iTunes. You can also leave us a review. So if you listen to our podcast and you enjoy it we'd love for you to head over to itunes and leave us a nice five-star review you can find Teresa on twitter and instagram at ice cold penguin you can find me at av goins so until next time keep on reading and may the force be with you